Well, good evening. Take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to James chapter 4. Uh, James chapter 4, if you don't have a Bible with you, it's going to be on the screen just a second, uh, in just a minute when we get there. But uh, we're continuing our series in plain James. Next weekend, we will end the series, and next weekend, we're going to talk about the power of divine healing. And again, that comes from the book of James. I mean, it's other places, but uh, James talks about how that should uh, act, or that practice should be uh, enacted in the in a congregational or corporate setting. So we're going to talk about that next weekend, and we're actually going to have a, a service where we're just going to pray for people at the end of the service, and I really believe that God's going to show up and move in a, in a great way, and so you want to be here for, for, uh, for that. And then also on the seats right there where you are, there are these uh, cards for this new series that we're doing, uh, launching April the 2nd and 3rd, and that's also in concert with our weekend that we launched the West Campus at the Majestic. And so we're believing for 300 people on that campus, and, uh, and that's all working and underway. And, uh, and then also on this campus, that weekend, it's a friend weekend. So uh, if you come that weekend and you bring a friend, then you get a um, free movie pass, kind of uh, just for kicks, just for fun. If you don't want it, because your religion doesn't allow you to go to movies, then just give it to me, because mine doesn't. And so anyhow... So anyhow, so it's going to be a good fun time. We do some things around here sometimes just for fun. There's no real spiritual significance. I hope that's okay with everybody, but it's just fun. And if you don't like to have fun, then you probably won't like me very much. But anyhow, that's another story for another day. But uh, so we're going to do that on the, on the second and the third. So be in prayer. And I know that you are. And I just want to thank you for your support. Man, we're, uh, Jeremy and Laura, we're praying for you guys as you're kind of leading the way and doing all of that. So it's going to be a great fun time. On the third, I'm going to be here uh, that weekend. Uh, we're going to do video venue. And, uh, and so, uh, so uh, I, I know it's my nature to want to preach right, right out of the gate. But I'm going to preach via video because I've got to walk what I talk. So anyhow, it's going to be a fun time. Um, Today, we're talking about living life one day at a time, and I'm just going to make two statements. First of all, James is very plain on this subject, so um, this probably won't be the longest message that I've ever preached. Now, my wife says every time that I say that, it's long, so I know some of you are going, let, let him be right this time, let him be right this time. <laughs> Secondly, um, this is a hard message for me to preach, not because it's, it's not true, it's I have a hard time living this. So if you say to yourself, hey, I've sat under enough sermons that he's preached. This is, he's really in a very impatient type A. Yeah, so I got to pre- preach the entire Bible, even if I don't live all of it all the time. Does that make sense? I hope that helps you. But as I was going through this, I was trying to think of, funny story, of a funny story to kind of open to show how my patience got me in trouble and it gets me in trouble, but I couldn't think of anything. So I asked my wife and I said, Tammy, can you think of anything? And she couldn't think of anything. She, and I said, well, maybe I'm not patient, impatient. She goes, oh, no, you are. You are. I just can't think of anything right now. And so I called my mom and she can't think of anything. And of course, I'm perfect, right? So I feel good about myself. And then I realized that, you know, my, I, my impatience comes out in so many imperfections in me that just kind of just, it's just, I don't know. And, and so one of the things that Tammy reminded me of, she said, you do realize that nobody in your staff likes to go on a road trip with you. <laughs> nobody in your staff, if they're on the road trip, wants to sit in the front of the car, that they all try to sit in the back seat and they fight over it. Have they told you this, Jeremy? 
Yeah, it's coming. They're, they're, they want Jeremy to say Because you like to tell everybody where to go because you've been everywhere, you know everything. And, and I was just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I just wanted a funny story. Don't hurt me. I've got to preach. I think we all from time to time struggle with this thing called time. And sometimes there's not enough of it. Sometimes it doesn't happen fast enough. And... Um, to put time, uh, the importance of time into perspective, I came across this, uh, this, um, I don't know, this quote, if you would, but I'm going to read it for you. It says, to know the value of time, for a, to know the value of a year, ask a student who has failed an exam. To know the value of a month, ask a mother of a premature baby. To know the value of a week, ask the editor of a weekly news magazine. To know the value of a day, ask the wage earner who has six kids. To know the value of an hour, ask two lovers who are waiting to meet. To know the value of a minute, ask a person who's just missed the plane. To, to know the value of a second, ask the person who survived the accident. And to know the value of one millisecond, ask the Olympic silver medalist. Time is something that we all deal with. Time is something that we all have the exact same amount of. But time, as James talks about is not the easiest thing to to deal with. James chapter 4, verse 13, James begins. He says this. Now listen, who say, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this city or to that city and spend a year there or carry on our business and make money, why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You, You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live it and do this and do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes and all such boasting is evil. For if anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now again... I don't know about you, but I make presumptuous statements all the time. Like, hey, I'm going to go over here. I can't wait till two weeks from now. I'm going to be here. I'm going to be over here. My thing is I'm going to go eat at this restaurant in three weeks. I mean, that, that's right, whatever your thing is. And, uh, and I can't wait for this. And I can't wait for that. And, and I'm going over here. I'm doing that. And we just have this casualness in our conversation. And again, remember, James is talking to Christians, Christ followers in the first century. And he's saying, you shouldn't talk like that. You should make this statement, if the Lord wills we will go on vacation. If the Lord wills, we will go here. If the Lord wills, we will go there. If the Lord wills, we will do that. Why? Because, because our, we've already talked about this earlier in the series, but our words count. And James is saying, it needs to be reminding of you not to boast of tomorrow because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. That life happens in day-tight compartments. God created the heavens and earth, the earth in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. Now, this is something that we could learn uh, from our Jewish brothers and sisters because, because we as um, westernized Christian Americans, we view days, and, and, and even so much Western European uh, mentality, we view days as starting from the time the sun goes up until that's when the day begins, until the sun goes down and even into the evening to the next day. But the Bible doesn't, doesn't do it like that. It says evening and morning the, 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 the first day. That according to, according to the way that scripture is written in, in, um, in Genesis, that the day begins in the evening. The day begins at sunset. The day begins uh, in, 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 in the life of, of, um, of, of, well, these guys were all Jews here that he's speaking to. In their life, it began in the evening. 
and it was preparation for the next day, and the day would end at sunset the following day. Thus, the Sabbath begins on Friday night, Friday at sunset, and it goes to Saturday evening at sunset. And it's that 24-hour period. It's evening and morning the first day, evening and morning the second day, evening and morning the third day, evening and morning. Why? Because, because again, we, well, when the sun comes up, that's when our day begins. No, 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 but, but, the, but the preparation the evening before, what we do before anybody else sees us, the, the sleep that we have the night before, the evening that we have the night before, all those things the night before, those things are all powerful things that determine whether or not how successful our next morning is going to be, which is a part of that day. I don't know if that makes sense at all or not. But it's very interesting because when James is speaking here, he's speaking to a group of people that understand this. And they understand that life happens one day at a time. That you're to serve God one day at a time. That you're to follow Jesus one day at a time. And that you don't boast about what's going to happen next week. And you don't talk about what's going to happen next month. Nothing against planning. Nothing against goals. I just sat here at the beginning of the message and talked to you. Here's what we're going to do, right, on April the 2nd and 3rd. Because some of you are going, hey, you hypocrite. Here's what we're doing the 2nd and 3rd. We're going to launch this. We're going to do this. da 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 but Lord wills. It's what James is saying. Is there that type of underpinning in your vocabulary? Is there that type of, of pretense in your vocabulary? Is there that type of a, of, of a mindset in your vocabulary that, that it's okay to plan? It's okay to have for the future? I don't want you to walk out of here and just go, Pastor says just spend it all, roll the dice, baby, and see what happens today. No, I didn't say that. I'm saying that James is saying here, don't boast about tomorrow because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Don't, don't boast about next week because you don't know what's going to happen next week. Don't boast about next month because you don't know what happens gonna, what's going to happen next month or next year. All we're given is today. And today we have to seize the day. Is it okay to plan for the future? Sure. Is it okay to plan for retirement? You bet. <laughs> you better. Is it okay to save? Yeah. But at the end of your life, it's all with this underpinning of the will of God. Now flip over to James chapter 5, because I'm going to read a few verses there, because he talks about this exact same subject in two places. James chapter 5, verse number 7, we begin reading. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. For see how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Now, I'm going to stop right there just for a second. He's speaking again. Again, it, 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 this is very interesting about time because he goes right back to what's, what's, what we find in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 3, the whole value of seed, time, and harvest. And again, this agricultural uh, metaphor or um, uh, illustration is all throughout Scripture because it's something that, again, everybody could kind of understand and we all kind of get it. It's pretty basic. It's that if I take seed and I put it into the ground... And the, the, there are seasons that will happen with that seed, but that that seed then will produce a harvest. And so James is saying here, look, everything's in a process. Things don't just happen overnight. Live one day at a time, but walk through the process, work through the process, make sure you're working through the process, and make sure in the process that you don't lose heart. Make sure in the process that you don't just give up on God. Make sure in the process that you don't just go, see, it's just not happening fast enough, because there's going to be seasons in life. And we all know this. There are going to be seasons where it's the winter season. There's just not a lot happening. It just, you can stare outside all you want to, but the snow's not going anywhere, right? The wind's going to howl and it's going to blow. Thank the Lord. Winter is over. I speak that in the name of Jesus. Anyhow, right? And then now the spring, right? So right now, everybody's all excited. Everybody's happy. Everybody's in a good mood because it's like, it was 65 this week. Oh, my goodness. And, and uh, a go- two golf courses in the area opened yesterday. I would know those things. And I mean, it's right. Those things are happening, you know. And so it's happening and things are, you know, and the snow is melting and we can see ground again. And, 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 um, and then there's going to come summer. 
which is going to be awesome. And then fall is going to come. And then there's going to be a season of, of death, of winter. But, right? Some of you are like, you're just so straightforward. It's true. Don't look at me like that. And then it's going to come back again in the spring. Why? Because there's seasons. And he's saying, look, don't make decisions based just on that one season. Don't just, I, I, I understand. You have to take every day, one day at a time, but also understand that one day is connected to a whole bigger picture. And just stand firm. Just live it out every single day. I think the problem with life and the tough thing about life is that it's so daily. Every single day. I got to pray every single day. I got to read my Bible. Don't look at me like that because some of you, yeah, uh-huh. every single, it's, I need to do the right things every single day. I, I've got to have healthy disciplines every single day. And then he goes into verse nine, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged for the judge is standing at the door. That's interesting that he drops that in there. Why? What's he talking about? Well, again, you have to remember, you have to remember the context. He's speaking to Christians or Christ followers in the first century. And he has just preceded this verse with saying, look, be patient, understand there are seasons, live life one day at a time, live in the moment, understand it. But that moment is in the context of many, many, many moments that are going to happen. And that God ultimately is the only one that holds that whole time in the world in his hand. And then you're doing all of that, don't waste sideways energy on fighting with each other. Case in point, you're on a road trip. You have two or three or four, ever how many kids you have in the back of your car. Give them enough time and they will just start knocking the crud, right? Right? You, you don't have kids like that? My brother and I, black eyes, broken arms. Oh, he hit me. No, he didn't. I'm fixing to hit you now. You know, right? And you give them enough time and they begin to fight and they begin to poke and they begin to, why? Because they're bored and they become, they become distracted and they're, she hit me. And, and girls are just the same way. And it's the whole deal. And you're just like, oh my goodness. My mother used to say, I'm just going to just drive this car to ditch and kill all of us. I don't think that was really healthy, but that's what she would say. <laughs> Phil, this isn't being recorded, is it? Okay. My point is, is that when we sit for a while as Christ followers, all of a sudden we can just become a bunch of navel-gazing Christians that want to talk about our problems, talk about everybody else's problems. And James is saying, look, realize this one day at a time thing is in the context of many, 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 many other moments that are going to happen and be patient. And in the middle of being patient, don't become petty. And don't give yourself to sideways energy over things that make no difference whatsoever. For the Lord is standing at the door, meaning he's ready to rapture his church. He is ready to call an end to this crazy world. He is ready to rectify the wrong in this world. And he could come at any moment, any time. Again, it goes back to that be ready, that moment of that. Verse 10, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count... Uh, as blessed, those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and, and have seen that the Lord finally brought what, what he brought about. For the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Again, you just, that one day lived out in the context of many moments, God's compassion is mercy. If you'll give it time, spring will come, summer will come, the harvest will come. Verse 12, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear by heaven or by earth or anything else uh, and all you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you'll be condemned. Now, about swearing, he's not talking about foul language. He's talking about committing yourself to things that you have no power to commit yourself over. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And by that, that means if you tell someone you're going to do something, do it. 
but there's no need to swear because you don't own tomorrow. And if you tell them, hey, tomorrow, I promise you I'm going to do this, you have no ability of doing that. You kind of elevate yourself to God status, to deity status when you do that. So be careful about the promises that you make. That's why even here at church, when we, when we do missions commitments or when we do uh, building capital campaign, Prime 29 commitments, we call them faith promises. Lord willing, as God blesses me, I will. And it's even in the vocabulary. Why? Because we don't have control over tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. It's not a contractual agreement that you're coming into. It's a thing of if God wills, as God blesses, I'm going to be faithful with what God gives me. And then you have to work that between you and the Lord. So in essence, in this whole thing about time, today and tomorrow, here's what James is saying. Live today for tomorrow. Live today for tomorrow. Live today for tomorrow. That's what he's saying. By today, he means my life. By today, he's saying, live today, my life, what I have control over today, the 24 hours I have control over today, this evening and tomorrow, what I have control over today, this 24-hour period, my life. Tomorrow, he's speaking of eternity. Tomorrow, he is speaking of eternity. That tomorrow is about eternity. So I'm to live my life today, what I have control over today, for what, I have, for, for what he has control over, which is tomorrow, which is my eternity. Live today for tomorrow. And, and, and when you do that, you, del- when you, you basically are leveraging and living your life for eternity. And so I want to ask you to ask yourself, based on this, these passages of Scripture, just three questions to say, am I really doing that? Because here's the deal is, I don't argue that anybody of us in this room, myself included, would want to do that. I, I don't think there's anybody in this room that goes, I don't, I don't care about eternity. I don't care about God. I, don't, I care about me. I just want to, you know, it's all. Me- but, but in our world, in our time, and everything that goes on, it's so easy to let things and things and stuff and appointments and deadlines and deliverables and measurables in our world crowd us out and forget stuff and miss stuff. So here's some questions to ask yourself if you're living today for tomorrow. First question, is God the basis of my plans? Is God the basis? Is he the base? Is he the foundation of the plans that I make? Is God the basis of my plans? Here's what I mean by that. When I'm making plans, when I'm planning for the future, it's okay to do that. But am I doing that on my own merit or am I doing that on him? Am I consulting God and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? See, that whole phrase, Lord wills, we'll do this tomorrow. Don't just say, I'm going to do or whatever. The problem with that is that it's what I'm going to do. It's, what, it's all about I, me, and my. But it's the thing of, Lord, what do you want me to do? So maybe you are a student and you're trying to decide where you're going to go to college or what you're going to do with your life. Are you earnestly asking God, give me direction? That's what he's talking about. Are you saying, Lord, here, I give you my life. If I'm going to trust you with eternity, I'm going to trust you with today. So I give you my life. Show me what you want me to do. God, give me wisdom. Speak into my life through your word and, and through, through people in my life. Uh, speak into my life and show me what you want me to do. If, if, you're, if you're in college and you're trying to decide where you're going to, maybe you're taking a job option and, and you're, going to gra- you're graduating and this is happening in the spring and this is all going and, and do I go here, do I go there, do I take the job in Scottsdale or, or do I stay home in, uh, in, in Milwaukee and take the local job here or, or, or what, what do I do? Are you asking God? Are you consulting him? Are you saying, Lord, you're, I'm not supposed to do anything without you being involved. Give me wisdom. Where do I go? What do I do? 
Maybe you're single and you're, and you're ready to, to marry and you're just, you're in a dating relationship and you began and are you asking God to bring that right person into your life? Or maybe you're in a dating relationship. Have you asked the Lord, Lord, is this really who you want me to spend the rest of my life with? Not what you want, but what does he want? Sometimes we don't ask those questions because we're scared of the answers. We're scared that, you know, the old thing, Lord, don't send me to Africa kind of a deal. It's the whole thing of, of I don't want to be a missionary and, and, and out in the middle of the bush and, and some mud hut and, and I don't want to go and I don't know. So if I ask, then maybe he might ask me to do something that I don't want to do. Why would God do that? Now, there are times he asks you to do things that in the, in the here and now don't seem like they're beneficial, but on the long term of things, in the scheme of things, through the seasons, as he talks about, it fulfills and it shows God's will and his blessing. Is it God the basis in your life? If you're going to buy this house or that house, or you're ready, have you, do you consult God? And, go, and sometimes you go, well, does God really care? I mean, there's hurting people in the world, and there's starving people in the world, and, and there's wars and rumors of wars. Does God really care? Yes, the Bible says that he does. He cares so much that he knows the very number of hairs on your head. And for some of you, that's very challenging, right? But he knows it. Why? Because he cares about you. But how can he care about me if there's almost six billion people on the planet? Because he's God. He's not, don't define him by who you are. How arrogant is that? Let him just be God. See, we don't have a lot of answers. I don't have a lot of answers. I, the older I get, the more questions than I have than answers. But what I do know is that I need to be asking him, Lord, what do you want me to do? God, do I do this with my finances? Do I do this? What about the business? Do I start a business? Do I go out on my own? Do I stay here? Do I work for this company? Do I do this? Ask that. Because here's the deal is, God, here's what I do know. God will lead you. God will answer if you'll ask. And James is saying, look, before you say tomorrow I'm going to go here and tomorrow I'm going to do this, I'm going to buy this and buy that. Whoa, 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 slow your roll. Bring the RPMs down. Is God the basis I'm not asking you, are you saved and from a devil's hell and you're on your way to heaven? I'm asking you, is he the basis of the decisions that you make in your life? Now, don't get up tomorrow morning and go, Lord, is the day like a Cocoa Crispy day or is it Wheaties? <laughs> Who cares, right? I mean, I do, but right? What tie shall I wear? I mean, I, you know, people go nuts over stuff like this. But I do think we go way more times than not on the other side of the continuum. And we go live life. We invest money. We invest time. We invest energy. We get involved in relationships. And we've never stopped to consult and ask the Lord. James, the second question that you ask yourself is, do I live like God exists? Do I live like God exists. You go, that's a kind of a crazy question. Of course, I mean, we're here in church. I believe in God. No, no, no. This is a pride and arrogance thing. This basically is your Christianity, is your Christ followership a Sunday or for you a Saturday evening thing? Is it a church thing? Where you come to church and you do your time, you think and you do that kind of thing, you go on. Or is it something that really challenges you to your core? And it really affects the way you live Monday morning or Tuesday night or Thursday afternoon or your Friday night entertainment choices. Because what he's saying, James is saying is, look, make sure that it's not all about you. Make sure that the choices that you make, people should be able to look into your life, James is saying, and be able to see that God exists. 
by the choices that you make. You don't have to have a big billboard and go, I'm a Christian. You don't have to have a big sign that says, I'm a Christian. You don't have to stand on the lunchroom table and tell everybody they're going to hell and you're righteous and they're not. That's, that's not anywhere in Scripture. That's some wacko evangelical ideology of what, what Christianity is all about. No, the thing is that people should look at our life and the decisions that we make and be able to say, there's a code of conduct that they live by that's different. There's something to this person that's different. I can't quite close the loop, but there's something there. And I've seen a lot of people that go to church, but I haven't seen someone that follows the teachings of Jesus in such a way that life is different. Because I'm telling you, the greatest sermons that people will ever hear are not going to be on a platform on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night. It's going to be your life in the workplace. I, I, at men's breakfast this morning, I, was, I shared at the very end, we saw a really uh, cool uh, video presentation by Craig Rochelle, and I was sharing at the end about my dad, that my dad was, is, he's one of my heroes, but my dad never preached a message, a sermon from a platform or a pulpit. My dad's a, just a great working class guy. He had a temper, he'd flare up, say a few things that I'd get in trouble if I said right here, right now, so I won't. Just a real down-to-earth person. But my dad loved God. He loved his wife. He loved his boys. And he lived for God. And the greatest sermon I ever heard was never by a preacher or a youth pastor. It was by seeing my dad who when I was in the third grade, on his birthday, received a Thompson Chain reference Bible that was gray, that was gold foil with his name, Gerald W. Cole, on the front, that was given to him by Glenn and Florence Davis at the kitchen table of the house I grew up in, 3905 Ridgeway Drive. I'll never forget. My dad kept that Bible in the, in the box. And in the evenings, he would sit down after he had a long day at the factory, watch the evening news, and he would take that box out he'd take that Bible out because he cherished it and he'd begin to read the word and I am the man that I am today not because what a preacher said in a pulpit in a church service but because the life that was lived in front of me by a Christ follower that's what James is saying can people look at your life and know that God exists? And the last question to ask yourself is, do I live today awaiting his return? Do I live today awaiting his return? Or am I just presumptuous about the future? See, he says, look, that the Lord stands at the door. He, he gives us this analogy that the Lord is going to come back and he's going to harvest the earth, that, that, that God is coming and that there is a judgment and, and that, that Jesus is coming and that we don't know that if he might come tomorrow. I'm telling you, um, I don't talk a whole lot about end times because quite frankly, the, the disciples of the first century believed that Jesus would come back before their death. So, since the first century, we've been awaiting the, the return of Jesus Christ, quite frankly. But like today, when I'm watching the PGA game that was on this afternoon on the television, and all of a sudden it's interrupted by a news brief because we've just entered into airstrikes with Libya, with France, 
And then there is audio of our president speaking to how we're having to get involved in the Middle East crisis. Another one. Man, it smacks of revelation. (laughs) I'm telling you, wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes and pestilence, turbulences everywhere. Folks, if you don't think we're not living in the last days, wake up, McFly. I'm telling you, it is on like Donkey Kong. It is full throttle. We are living on the edge of the return of Jesus Christ. And we don't talk about heaven a lot because, quite frankly, life's pretty good for us. Air-conditioned houses, heated seats in our cars, good restaurants, life is pretty good. I mean, you know, nobody's really starving and dying, and, and we don't know, you know, I mean, we've got good hospitals, we've got good things. And 100 years ago, we didn't have that. Not like we do today. But the reality is, it's very much the same. Jesus Christ is coming back. And there will be a day where the trump of the Lord will sound and time will be no more. And those that are dead in Christ will arise first, according to 1 Thessalonians. And we who remain will be caught up in the air and forevermore we will be with Jesus. Do you live? Do you get up? Do you have it in the back of your cranium that, you know what, this could be the day that Jesus could come back. This could be the day that the trumpet could sound. This could be the day I may drop my kids off at school and see them on the other side of eternity. That this could be it. That this church service may not even end before the trumpet of the Lord would sound and time would be no more. That's how imminent, that's how immediate, that's how close the return of Christ is. And I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm saying that James says, look, we should live our lives as Christ followers. He's not talking to people that are far away from God. This isn't some scare tactic. Tactic. This isn't sinners in the hands of an angry God. This, this, is, this is saying, hey, are you living life understanding that today could be your last? Not because of something you've done wrong, but because God says, time's up. I'm done. And he makes, in verse 17, a statement that I want to give you to kind of end tonight with. To ignore this passage of scripture, he says, is a sin. It's very interesting how in chapter 4, verse 17, he says to him that he knows to do and does it not, it's a sin. If you know to live life God consciously with your time, if you know to live life to await his return, if you know that you're supposed to live life one day at a time, if you know this is the practicum of what God says that we're supposed to do as Christ followers, and you do it not, it's a sin. Sin, see there's two types of sin. We really major 99% of the time on the sins of commission, the sins of commission, the sins, the things that I do that are wrong, the things that, where I blew it and I did this and I did that and all that kind of stuff. And that's sin, got it? We all get that. Just straight disobedience against God and his word. But what James is talking about here is what's called the sin of omission, which is just as powerful of a sin. And it's the things that I know that I'm supposed to do, but I don't do because I just choose not to do them. And James says it right there in verse 17. To he who knows to do and does it not, it is a sin. That there are times that I can violate Scripture, not by what I'm doing, but what I'm not doing. That I, and and so, so just to run through this roadblock and go, hey, I don't care, whatever. It's just as much as a violation. It's just a direct disobedience. Why does he tag that there? Because here's what I think, guys. 
I think at the end of the day, how we spend our days and how we spend our lives and what we do with our time is so valuably important to him, to ultimately to what he wants to do in our hearts and in our lives, and that he ultimately knows really just how short this life is.